Okay, so we've got about 45 minutes together. Ben has to uh, depart us at 10 o'clock to uh, meet with the Wiggins family who uh, they're baptizing their youngest today. Yay. We are baptizing their youngest today. Oui. So. <laughs> Got a homily across Very town. Good. Very good. <laughs> so, Pastor Ben, since you're oh, leaving yeah, us, do you want to take the first one here? Let's get in here. Okay. All right. Ooh. Okay. Are you ready, Michael? I am. We're gonna we're gonna kind of approach these dialogically. So, if we uh, each feel a little bit to share, we'll go from there and sure. and see where we go. First is: Is there any expectation in Torah that God will appear? die, be born again, and then come again? There's a second question. Oh. We'll get there. Oh. Uh. Are you asking? And then I'm, I'm asking to... Oh! <laughs> you let me pick first. Let me, let me look at that. <laughs> <Here you> <laughs> <go>. <laughs> uh-huh. So it sounds like it's really a question about prophecy and how we understand prophecy. I mean, as Christians, we look back at the Hebrew Scriptures and we read them one way whereas they may have been read a little differently in their time. Right. Um, and so, Michael, do you have any? Yeah, I, I've, been, I've been wrestling with this question a lot uh, recently in my reading. And uh, how do we understand? And I, I think by Torah, we're, we can broaden that because, of course, Torah is just the first five books. I think we can refer to the whole, the Tanakh, the whole of the Hebrew Bible. Uh, and we... Yeah, today it's, it's easy for us to look at the, the Old Testament Hebrew Bible and say, yeah, these are some prophecies that point us to Jesus because that's what the New Testament writers did as well. And uh, as I've been thinking about the history of the church and the few, few decades between Jesus coming and the, Bible, the, the books of the Bible being written, uh, I've been reminded that when your scriptures are only the Hebrew Bible— and God has done this wonderful new thing, you have to make sense of this new paradigm compared to your, your old paradigm, what you know already. And so uh, for a while in my own devotion, I thought, is that, is, that, is that unfair? Is that pushing the envelope a little too much to, to read a prophecy here? But faithful Christians 2,000 years ago, they did that because that's the only Bible they had. And so I've come to a place where I realize that it is, um, that it was faithful to the scriptures they had, but particularly is there the idea uh, that God would appear, God would die and be born again? Uh, I think this, this comes to the question of identity of Messiah. Mm -hmm. um, certainly there's messianic expectation, but uh, throughout scriptures and different communities in the ancient Near East, there were different expectations of who messiah would be is messiah going to be a king is messiah going to be a prophet uh what is is good is the messiah going to take over the government and and topple over kings um and i don't my understanding is that most people did never think the messiah is going to also be god mm -hmm. um, agreed yeah yeah uh, this is of course dangerous territory right i mean so we can, uh, as Christians, uh, do what you know, Monday morning quarterbacking, right? You know, it's the day after going, oh, look, you see that word here? It's also here. Uh, and so I was just thinking of an uh, Advent, this is what we tend to do, right, as Christians. And across the broad spectrum of the church, we do this. 
um, we read something like Micah 5, and it's, it references Bethlehem, and we go, oh, I heard the word Bethlehem. I know that place. You know, whereas um, our Jewish brothers and sisters, who, who especially, it was, this was in their blood. I mean, this was the, 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 the Torah and, and the whole of the Hebrew Scriptures was memorized, was learned, was uh, recited. Uh, and so to, to take a passage and to be able to say, oh, that word is in it, it must mean this, is dangerous for us to do after the fact. Whereas um, we can look at it and we can see pieces, we can get glimpses, uh, but it doesn't mean you can look back and say, oh, here's the timeline, here's how Jesus is supposed to go, here's what his life ultimately means based on these particular words and phrases. Um, it's very dangerous waters. Imagine somebody after your life uh, finding little bits and pieces and going, ah, this is what you know, Rosie meant when she said this. She was thinking about her childhood home and blah, 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 right? No, it's, it's, of course, there's a whole life here. There's a whole history here, thousand years, thousands of years. So piecing it together over time, we can get glimpses, but we can't necessarily write the book and say this is exactly what it means. Mm. And I'd also say, especially in the, in Jewish theology, there's this desire to, uh, soften any anthropomorphic language about God, right? As we talked about a little bit last week, in the Septuagint, in the Targumim, the translations and paraphrases of Scripture, uh, they didn't want to talk about God's hand or God doing things like humans would. So the idea that God would come in human form at all uh, would at first, to most, if not all be Jewish blasphemy. listeners, would be blasphemy and would be an offense to their, in their listening. And so it would be what you're Messiah, but you're also God, it would be a hard thing to make sense of. So, um, great. Uh, any follow-up questions to that around the room? We can just shout them out if we have them. If not, we can, or we can come back to it. If you want to write other stuff down, um, shall we proceed? There's a second question on There that. is, I know. Um, who are you going to miss in heaven? Worthy question. <laughs> You're not sure about it. <laughs> so I, I, I'm, uh, the implication of the question could be twofold. Who's, who's not going to be there with you? Uh, <laughs> or um, or who's, who's in, this, in essence uh, still here after you pass? Uh, so you could take that multiple ways, I'm sure. Um, and so at different stages of life, you'll read that question differently, I'm, I imagine. Um, the, there's question of whether you'll miss at all mm-hmm. after the life, right? I mean, Um, so there's, there's implication in that question that when we die, uh, that we are immediately in the presence of, of heaven, right, in the presence of the angels and Christ. Um, and so there's this difficult challenge when we read the scripture. It says two things. Scripture says two things. One is that today you'll be with me in paradise, right? Jesus says to the, to the, uh, thief next to him on the cross. 
But then we also read uh, from Paul that when we die, we sleep until the resurrection, right? The coming of the Lord brings the resurrection of the dead, right? And so there's two conflicting narratives that happen in Scripture. And so your your question actually belies a larger question, Phyllis, in that are we, as uh, N.T. Wright puts it, I believe, um, death after death, or life after death, is it life after death after life, or something like that? The way he describes it. So anyway, the idea is that you, you die, and you sleep, and then you rise at the coming of Christ to be in heaven with Jesus, right? With God. Um, or do you, after you die, your soul is immediately in the presence of heaven? Whew! Which one's right? You gonna argue with Paul, Jesus? Who are you gonna? No, go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> yes. Bingo! I love it. Thank you. Yes. God is outside of time, and therefore, and created. Time is a created structure of creation, right? When God began to create, even in those first first verse of Scripture, we find that time is created. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Feels like it sometimes. <laughs> yeah. So, so there is that tension because there is the early tradition that, um, well, first with that particular verse, if I may, mm-hmm. um, today you'll be with me in paradise. It's pretty clear. I mean, uh, on a surface level, today means today. It's not. You're not saying. Really, it's going to be two thousand years. You're going to sleep for two two millennia or three. You know, it's not that. There's this the, the the plain sense is that when you die, you'll be with me in heaven. But then there's also this other conflict of uh, the early church, and so do we every Sunday in saying the Apostles' Creed that he descended into hell, which is not paradise, but he descended mm-hmm. into hell so as to free those who are in hell. The Orthodox Church refers to it as the harrowing of hell. And um, so how do you make a... Arrowing uh, in the field. Discussion of translation from last week. Uh, Yeah, I don't think there's... I I think based on, I mean, ancient scriptures, ancient translations and ancient... um, The the church fathers who read and the Greek was their everyday language. That's how they interpreted it as well. I don't think that's a questionable. There are passages that certain words are questionable. I don't think that's one of them. Um, But yeah, so there's a timey, if you use the Doctor Who phrase, there's a timey-wimey-ness to all of it. Wibbly-wobbly. Wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey, that we just don't know. And yeah, so the, the ancient church... There was this tradition that you be you go right with the Lord, but there's also this biblical tradition of what I've heard it referred to as soul sleep, that you sleep mm-hmm. until the Lord returns. I think it's a temporal issue. Yeah. I would say following. Following the resur- yeah. resurrection of the dead. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
competing worldviews, if you will, <laughs> of, of what happens and when it happens. Um, the timeline of judgment, so to speak, um, the, the way, I think the way that N.T. Wright does it is the one who's the life after death after life, um, is that after the resurrection is the judgment so that it would then be that time there that is either, if you were to think of it as torment or salvation or, or whatever, um, as competing with a, a, a Jewish worldview that would view that as potentially, I don't know how they would view the, the soul sleep period. I don't know. Um, well, I, I mean, the, the early, and it, it's hard because there's multiple Christian views and there's also multiple Jewish agreed. views. Yeah. And then sometimes they're right in line with each other and sometimes they're in conflict. So my understanding of one of the earliest Jewish theologies of the afterlife, there's no such thing as heaven or hell. Everyone goes to Sheol until, or maybe there's not a clear or, sense of the afterlife. In the earliest of Hebrew scriptures... Yeah. There's, There's afterlife? Suggestion of annihilation, even at different yeah. places in Scripture, which is that sense that you just don't exist after death. Uh, and so depending <laughs> on when we're talking about in Jewish history, there's a, a progression of thoughts, yes. of the ideas. Uh, like First Maccabees, which was written about two centuries before Jesus, is the real, really the first clear indication we have that Jewish theology has progressed to... Um, a point of believing in resurrection of the dead. Mm -hmm. So this is between, the whole That's Hebrew Bible thought. has been written, and then 1 Maccabees, when, every, when there's this persecution and people are standing up for their faith and martyrs, there's Jewish martyrs mm -hmm. in this period, there's written evidence for the very first time that there's this progression of belief that God will give me back this body in the resurrection. And we see that represented in the New Testament as a discussion between Pharisees and Sadducees, mm -hmm. right? Um, the, 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 uh, they try to trick Jesus. I believe the Sadducees try to oh, trick yeah. Jesus by saying, you know, the, the, the brother marries the, 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 the wife and his other brother marries the wife because he died and then the other brother, and it keeps going on that way. Whose wife will she be in the resurrection? They're trying to say, we don't believe in the resurrection. What do you believe? And so the trick is there, the, snap, or the, the snare is set, so to speak. Oh, yeah. um, and so you see this thought, this difference of thought in the Jewish culture at the time, even represented in the New Testament mm -hmm. between the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Mm -hmm. Somebody over here had their hand raised. That's a potential way of reading it. I mean, you... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> rough, rough, Clark. <laughs> Is following is following Torah, and all of a sudden on the cross, as Christ is in his exit scene, <laughs> he gives a dispensation for faith. That that was a huge lesson if anybody heard it, because that's not Jewish thinking. Well, Jewish <laughs> Somebody heard it, yeah. So, 
you know, it really, it, it's just the conflict there. They don't believe he was a redeemer and the person that could do any of that, that he was God, so. We could keep talking about this all day, but I, does there, I think is that a hand, Dan? Oh, no, Dan, it looks like no, you got some fingers. No, we go. Listening, <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Please sit on your hands unless you would like to be called upon. Uh, <laughs> We've got another question We're going to jump to the next one. Um, we, as Michael said, we could chat about all of these all day, truly. Um, this is a big one, Michael. You ready? All right. Does God cause catastrophes as punishment for our sins? There's a second question there, but we'll start there. Uh I'll handle the first one first. So I think this is actually two questions. Because does God cause catastrophes? First question. I would say no. Um, as punishment for our sins, I think is obviously a related question, but I think they are really two separate questions. I agree. Um, there is, particularly in the Hebrew Bible, there is this idea that you sin you're punished. The nation in particular, the nation of Israel, they do something bad and God punishes them, then they repent, and God receives them back into his loving care, and there's this cycle that they go through. On the individual level, except for the kings, I don't know that there is, except for the kings, yeah, yeah. I don't know that there's much of, much of that throughout scripture. Um, I would... not going to be, uh, how, why would it be any different for individuals? I think there is slightly different, I think there is a difference between, uh, the covenant was not made with individuals, uh, the God's covenant with Israel was made with the whole of the nation. So as the whole of the nation is, is uh, leading towards idolatry and, and other sins, God punishes them as a whole. And I think particularly in that era, there was a more communal mindset. Mm-hmm. What we do together, we are we are, uh, we are either good together or we're bad together. Mm-hmm. There is an honor system here. And um, whether that's the people's perception of that, that we read through scripture, right? So uh, the individual writers who are, are putting these down are, are perceiving it as God's uh, punishment on the whole, if you will. You know, the exile's the prime example of this, right? Uh, the, the Israelites wandering through the wilderness uh, is another in that they, uh, they have not followed God faithfully, not maintained their part of the covenant, and so therefore there are pieces that happen along the way. Now, the challenge here, I think, is uh, punishment, the concept of punishment, right? Um, And so when something bad happens, define what that means. Bad for you, right? What if something bad happens to me that's really good for Dan. Yeah. A plague, for example. Of course. Or an earthquake. Sure. Or, you know, something that's catastrophic in nature that doesn't just affect one person. Yeah. It affects so, a lot of people because those people did not what God wanted. Precisely, yeah. So we're getting into a larger understanding of ethics here in that... Um, Oh, he's putting down his coffee. He's getting ready. Yeah, I got to get my hands involved. Um, no, so, so uh, there's interesting novels that take on this, this concept, right, to say um, our, our planet is overpopulated, so therefore 
uh, it's, it's a detriment to our entire society for there to be more people, right? So you shouldn't have babies, basically, right? Um, right? Exactly. And so we're seeing how people take on that concept and apply it, right? So then reverse concept, uh, uh, not to say this is, this is going to get into large-scale ethics. Are you ready? Everybody's on the verge of their seats, anxious, scared of what I'm going to say? Good. An earthquake kills a mass of people. Good, bad. Ooh. Even saying those words, I feel like my gut in knots, right? And so we've got this concept of what is good, what is bad. If something tragic happens to me, I, I, I'm in a car wreck, and yet I grow from it, I learn from it, I go, grow closer to God from it, good, bad, indifferent, right? And so taking these concepts, we look back, and the, the way that I like to think of this, the way I make myself feel better, is basically the way I put that, is that, uh, as a, a good friend of mine says, sin carries with it a germ of its own punishment, you're chocolate cake because you know who. Um, so sin is, in essence, what leads to the punishment here. Um, it's hard for us to ever say that God is the one that causes the catastrophe, causes punishment in that regard. When I sin, I take this thing and I hit Michael over the head, okay? Kill him right here in front of you. I'm going to hell. <laughs> Among other things, right? Poor Courtney. <laughs> Among other things, right? I don't get away with that. I get put in prison. My life is ruined. My family's life has problems because of it, right? So the, the punishment, the catastrophes that spurned on were not because God said, Ben, you shouldn't have killed that person. It's because the sin that I carried out carried with it punishment as well. Now, the challenge to that is, of course, when we talk about natural catastrophes. Yeah. A few years ago, earthquakes down in, I believe, Cuba? Haiti? Haiti, thank you. Um, there was a lot of uh, unfortunate rhetoric from a variety of Christian churches about those people down there being punished by God. And hopefully you and I are going, What? Because truly, I think the way this question is phrased, can you read that question one more time? Does God cause catastrophes as punishment for our sins? Our is the key word in that phrase. Because to me, it's not about your sins or their sins or my sin. It's about our collective sin. We are all every day reliving Adam and Eve in the garden. Are we not? You think, oh, I'm pious, I'm perfect, right? Anybody perfect in the room? Nobody wants to say that in front of anybody? Okay, just checking. Um, and so it is, it's, it's that we are collective sinful, and therefore there are things that happen because of that. Michael, thoughts? Mm. Yeah, I think, I loved your quote, and I'll have to get that from you later. Um, but I, I think, by and large, if I can out the, the person that Ben is referring to here that I know most most <laughs> clearly, Pat Robertson, um, who in my Baptist days, I love Pat Robertson. Um, he is one of those who today will say such and such a thing happened in the world 
uh, major natural catastrophe. Oh, those Haitians were into voodoo and, and they, they're, they were all in, into all sorts of sins and so God punished them. I struggle with that because I, you know, the, the primary, um, our primary identifier for who is God, God is love. And yes, I understand that there's judgment and there's punishment for sins, but by and large, to punish a whole group of people in our modern understanding, post-enlightenment thinking of catastrophes and weather systems and tectonic plates, which a hundred years ago we didn't know about tectonic plates, right? Or what caused earthquakes, we didn't understand it. And so now that we understand more, I'm not saying that God is uninvolved. God can do what God does. But I think we too quickly attribute some natural disaster and say that had to be God. And I don't think we can do that because to, to, to Ben's point of, of what does sin do and how do, what is its effects and natural disasters, somebody in that disaster in Haiti was killed who was a priest and a pastor and a faithful Christian or a faithful mother with children. And that was terrible tragedy. So to say God did that because there was some sin broadly, I think is unfortunate and a mischaracterization of the gospel of who God is in Jesus Christ. God is love. And that's not, that doesn't square easily with my understanding of who God is. But some would go that far. Some would do go that far. Some would say that. I, I think that's, it's a presumption. Yeah, I, I think, Beth, that's a great idea, a great, great point. It's a presumption of what does this mean? And that's, that's kind of what I take issue with, with uh, Pat Robertson's characterization of those things. Yeah. And you judging others. Judging yeah. humans. Someone. One thing, though, to cause disaster, it's another to allow it by mm. an omnipotent God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when we are taught that God is in control of okay. everything, how does he allow it? Not cause it, mm-hmm. but allow yeah. it. And so that's, a, that's one of those questions that um, it gets at the heart of who God is, right? And so um, is God all-powerful and just doesn't care? Right? Doesn't care about what happens to the individual. Or is God all-loving and maybe not all-powerful? Ooh. Right? We don't like that. Neither of those strike our ears well. Um, the way that one of my professors described this. Oh, I'm forgetting the other one. Oh, yeah. Keep going. Okay. Keep going. Um, the way that one of my professors described this is exactly what you said in the phrase allow or to let, right? Um, and so letting things happen. But that's because God lets us participate. At creation, we find that God doesn't just say, you're going to do this and you're going to be the puppets that follow my plan. Right? God says, here's a garden. Go play. Don't touch that. And what do we do? We go, I want to touch that. (laughs) And so by allowing us to participate as co-creators, right? That's one of my favorite phrases uh, in modern uh, understanding of of scripture. Co-creators is what we're invited to be a part of. By inviting us to be a part of that means... You ever play with your kids? You ever play with kids in general? 
And you go and you say, all right, here, build this Lego set, or play with this clay, or go out and, and, and uh, we'll go out and play some basketball, or something like that. Kids don't play by the rules. Kids make messes that you didn't plan on. Guess what? We're all kids. We make the messes. We crush the Play-Doh in all of its wonderful colors all together. And we go, look! And we think it's beautiful. And so we, by being invited in, God allows us to make mess. Go ahead, Pam. plates or hurricanes or you know so you know why why those things are allowed there's weather systems blah 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 you know and and so it's an unanswerable question but even within those very things tectonic plates if we didn't have that we wouldn't have an earth we wouldn't be able to sustain life because the movement of the tectonic plates and Geologists could explain this much well, much better than I can. But there's there's this sense that with, there's movement in the earth to keep the earth warm and heated, and it keeps life active from the very depths of the earth. So without those things, other good things wouldn't. Those things that can sometimes create bad, uh, without them, we don't have any of the good. What about what? Did you say Colin Powell? I think it's 10 o'clock. I have no idea. Okay, Ben, thank you. Um, I really think that is Ben's time to go. Can, can I throw one more, one more wrench into the... No more wrenches. No, go for it. I'm going to throw one more wrench into the machine for you. Um, <laughs> things you didn't plan on discussing in yeah, Sunday school. I did not think that one was going to come makes up. the list. Like you have a met in your brain. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you smoked for 30 years and you knew it was not a good thing to do. But what about the person with the pancreatic cancer mm -hmm. that didn't do anything bad, mm -hmm. who also is blind in his left eye that is now struggling to survive? What mm -hmm. about that poor fellow? He didn't do anything to cause that. What yeah. about the patients that pick up the horrible, the kids that pick up those viruses mm -hmm. now that are causing the paralysis? I mean, there's so many this? in the in the health field. It's like. Oh, yeah. It makes me crazy. Uh, agreed. And so our, our bodies are the most intricate kinds of machines, are they not? Right? I mean, so we have the ability to heal when we get cut. Right? Up until a certain age, and then it starts to struggle. Right? But for the most part, um, if, we get, if we get a paper cut, it will heal. Right? Not everybody. Not everybody. This is true. I, I'm talking generally speaking. <laughs> well, and so, yeah. Well, yeah. but agreed. Agreed. And so it's the it's the working parts. We've got a variety of working parts, and so whereas in most of us those work those parts would work a particular way, sometimes a cog doesn't fit the system, right? And so the beauty of of our bodies is we do regenerate to some extent, uh, not in a doctor. Not like Doctor Who. No. Sorry. Um, but we we do have the ability to heal. Our body can create cells to help us grow to help us heal to help us change the trouble is when those go too far right that's essentially yeah. what cancer does is it's yeah. a replication of cells that are unhealthy um to say that in the least medical way possible um 
I do want to get to your questions, I do have too. To flee. And you have to go. Grace so. and peace, friends. Thank you for inviting me and welcoming in. Uh, well, I would love to come back and do this again. Yeah, as would I. Um, Thank you all. I, I think if I... <laughs> go ahead and clap for him if you want. Go ahead. <laughs> go. Hey, hey. <clears throat> I, I think if I can, Beth, your point about medical stuff within our body, this, this question on the other side is, if something wrong has happened to us, what caused it? And sometimes it's as, it's as clear as they smoked for 30 years, and so that just happens. And other times it's, they didn't do anything wrong. Well, there's that beautiful healing story, um, the, the man born blind, in which Jesus uh, is healing, and the disciples are saying, well, who was it that sinned? Was it his parents that sinned? Was it him? Jesus is like, no, come on. You guys don't get it. There's more to the picture here. Sometimes stuff just happens, right? And this is a larger, we could talk about this literally all day and probably for a whole uh, several weeks. Theodicy means God's justice. And this is that whole topic of when bad things happen, is God at fault? And the trilemma, and I think I've got this right here, if God, God is all-powerful, all-loving, and all-good. And if God is all three of these, this is problematic because um, when we start talking about bad things that happened, well, if God is all-loving and all-good, then why is, he else, why is he not doing anything? Because if, but if he can do everything, right? So there's this sense that we don't quite get it. Any two of those three work, but all three of them we have to hold in tension. I want to get to Sue's question. Just thinking about um, the world as it is, it's a pretty dangerous place. Sure. It doesn't matter whether you're talking about tsunamis or germs. Yeah. So my question is, God put us here for this? Yeah. Oof. I mean, it's a given that it's this way. We shouldn't be here by all reasons. Sure. Because all these things can happen to us. So it seems to me that maybe it's about God's being with us no matter what. And these things are going to be here because it is a dangerous place. Mm. And we're not looking to him too often mm. to guide us through some of this. And we judge what's bad, but mm. we're just, it's amazing to I like be that. here. Yeah, I think it's rather than blaming God, we should be looking to God, yes. thanking God, giving. And I think that's what the resurrection is about. Ooh. I mean, everything is in yeah. that moment and yeah. still God's presence survives yeah. that which blows me away yeah great thank you Sue okay we've got ten we've got about ten minutes and I've got about eight questions left would you allow me to zoom through zoom <coughs> um, I'm going to see if I can read this why do we not focus more on the Hebrew Bible text slash Torah in the service as Zev said, I was not here for that uh, Sunday when Zev was speaking, to hear him say that. Um, I think it depends on the Sunday, depends on the texts of the week. I tend to like to preach from Hebrew Bible. I don't know if anyone else has noticed that. I love to um, dig into those old stories of the faith. Um, but sometimes uh, even I feel, I feel like I get to the end of a service some Sundays and think, could I have preached that in a synagogue and been okay? Um, and so I think there always has to be this this application of of, of and pointing towards Jesus um, with, with with 
remaining faithful to the Hebrew Bible texts, right? You don't want to push Jesus into the Hebrew Bible if, if there, it's, not a cl- it's not a clear indication Jesus should be there. So, um, but yeah, I, I'd love to see us do more Hebrew Bible stuff as well, but... Um, and have more Old Testament readings. There we go. Okay, whoo. Please explain the relationships of Jews and Christians and specifically what our responsibilities to each other are as separate faiths. Or what are our responsibilities to each other as separate faiths? Again, this, was, this could take a week uh, to talk about. Um, I think, wow, our relationship of Jews and Christians, I think is, uh, for a long time, the church saw that Jews were um, the ones responsible for killing Jesus, right? And then for a long time we thought, well, they don't know any better. As Paul says, there's a veil over their face. They don't know about Jesus, and so they are less than. Uh, and I think in the, in the last hundred years, especially since World War II and the Holocaust, uh, Christians have really rallied around Jews in such a way as to be more understanding, be more supportive of them. Uh, the theology that predominated in the church is called supersessionism, that we replaced, Christians replaced the Jews. The Jews' faith, for a long time Christians believed, the Jews' faith was bankrupt, that it wasn't complete. We had all the answers and they didn't, and they better get on board or else they're out. And in the last hundred years in particular, that theology of uh, we, we now say supersessionism is not right. We need to embrace those, our Jewish brothers and sisters, and we need to realize God's covenant with the Jewish nation was never rescinded. Um, and so, rather, I think we do a fine job at this church, our relationship with Rabbi Spitzer and Temple Israel, our growing relationship with the confirmation classes and the youth. Um, I think we honor them. We see them as fellow brothers and sisters in God, not in Christ, because, of course, they don't believe in Jesus as Messiah. But, um, but I think it's worth honoring them and loving them through that. Our differences make us better. Um, there is so much, I have a lot of questions on, I have four questions on this page. There's so much scientific evidence that Earth is much older than the Bible indicates. From an apologistic apologetic, uh, perspective, how can we explain or reconcile this when talking to non-believers? Um, I would take issue with what does the Bible indicate? Um, because I think, what is our interpretation of what the Bible indicates? I have no idea who wrote this, so if somebody wants to out themselves or talk about this further, we can. Um, I think if you add up, lots of people do, they add up and they say, you know, in the beginning God created, okay, Adam was so old, and then Seth was so old, and then they had when they had, and you can add it up, and it's around 7,000-ish years. Um, but I, yeah, with, with modern science, and just with basic archaeology, I was shocked in seminary, I took about four Sem- four archaeology classes in seminary. We had an archaeologist on staff. Um, and just, not even, not even talking about carbon dating, but just looking at the progression of tools, you can get well beyond 6,000, 7,000 years. You can go back 20,000, 30,000 years just by looking at the progression of tools and how long it takes for a society to go from this little sharp tool to the blade to the... 
it takes a really long time. And art, the progression of art. The, the Narmer palette, which is one of, um, <laughs> I did a big paper on this in seminary. Courtney's laughing here because she probably had to proofread it. Um, is about four, uh, is from 3500 BC in Egypt. It's beautiful. It's spectacular. And it, it didn't just come up, you know, the day after Adam and Eve were, were put on this planet. Uh, if you read the, the Genesis accounts literally, it, it didn't just come about right away. It had to, in the art history alone, it had to progress. So you start to see, not even going to carbon dating, not even going to all that, there are other methods of saying, the earth is older, what do we do with that? Well, uh, I'd say we uh, have to just say God created it, right? It doesn't matter. Does it really matter at the end of the day, did God create it 6,000 or 7,000 or 13.8 billion years ago? The point is, God created. Yes? That's what I would say. So, um, yeah. And for me, I think that's a litmus test. A lot of Christians today, like the Creation Museum down in, in Kentucky, is Kentucky, right? Um, they would say that that's a litmus test to see if you're a true Christian. Well, how old is the earth? Well, is Jesus Lord? That's, that would be my response because that should be the litmus test to are you a Christian or not? Is Jesus Lord? Yes? Good, you're a Christian. Um, but how old is the earth? For me, that's not a litmus test of, of who God is, how God created, God created, God loves us, Jesus came for us, period. Explain the importance of repentance. Whoo! I'm going to skip that one. It's important. There we go. A answered. Um, it's a question about social justice and does the Presbyterian Church sponsor families um, to enter our country legally? Uh, I don't believe that the PCUSA as a whole um, does that, but I believe that individual congregations do act in those ways to, to, to try to bring people from other countries here legally or to those who are already here to get them the proper paperwork and such. Okay. Are all or every decisions in our lives an issue of good versus evil? Mm. Mm. Yeah. Um, I don't think so. No, no, I'm saying, no, I do think there's a lot of gray areas. I don't think it's completely black and white. You know, is it, is it evil to go to uh, the movie theater? or to play a, a, a game of cards, whatever game you want. Uh, a few generations ago, they would say, yes, that's evil. Is it evil to dance? Yeah, that's evil. I don't know. I think what Scripture says versus what culture says changes over time. Um, and so it's very hard to say what... There is something that Scripture says. Let me clarify that. Scripture says one thing. Culture changes in relation to Scripture, sometimes not, to say some certain things are good or evil. Um, and I think that there's a lot of gray in between. I don't think, you know, is it, is it, is it good of me to walk down the hallway, or is it evil of me to walk down the hallway? No, it just, it's just walking. It's, there's nothing good or evil about it. It just is. Walking. Just walking. Daydreaming. There you go. Um, what if our collective what is our collective responsibility to do justice walk 
humbly, love mercy, yeah, love mercy and walk humbly with our God as a church, as family, as state, and nation? These are great questions. I think we can just start classes on all these. Uh, do it. Woo, <laughs> this is a good one. Where is heaven? Yikes. What? It's in the clouds. There we go. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, of course, in the ancient mindset, um, heaven was up, wherever up is. But then we realize that earth is not flat. Earth is round. So up means different things to different people. So is it beyond the world? Um, I, I love science fiction. I love science-y things. And uh, so I'd have to say it's probably in another dimension, right? It's not part of the... I, I, I believe that heaven is probably outside of this created order. Uh, and so you, you can't take a space shuttle to get there. Uh, the, you know, Star Trek Enterprise, you can't take that to get there. Um, it is beyond what we see and what we know. Um, yep. Yep. I know, I know he arose into heaven, but uh, he arose and then he was out of their sight. What happened beyond that? Did he go through, a, you know, did he snap, snap his fingers and say, poof, I'm in heaven now? I, I don't know. Nobody else does either. And of course, you know, that's what I love about science fiction is it starts to, it, it starts to uh, help you think beyond. There are other things possible. Um, anyhow, we are at time here, but, oh, Courtney. Yeah. Yeah. Right, because that's what they were understanding was the heaven at that time. Heaven is up wherever we are. Heaven is up, and so he went up. That's it. Um, this one came ba- came out uh, actually a month ago today. Today's the thirtieth. Yeah, this came to me by email. Uh, we're not going to get to this whole thing, and uh, it's quite hard. But the Jewish theology of original sin. Um, I, be- I believe this was asked of Zev, and he, quote, put it off and didn't answer the question. So I don't know that I can much answer this question any better um, than he could if he would have tried. Um, but the idea of original sin, my understanding of the history of the development of that theology is it comes from Augustine in the 4th century. Uh, and original sin, the idea that... Uh, with Adam and Eve and eating of the fruit, thank you, someone paid attention last week, um, eating of the fruit that they knew sin, right? Um, and that all who are born into Adam and Eve then have that sin, that seed of sin in them. Um, that's a, as I said, it was really Augustine who developed that theology. There's some uh, notions of that in Paul, Right, as he compares first Adam with second Adam, second Adam being Jesus, um, but it's really not sketched out for a few more centuries, um, and so I don't know, quite frankly. I don't. I would. I would be surprised if they had a similar theology of original sin because it wasn't a Jewish concept. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's not what someone, it's not what 
Yeah. It's a journey. Oh, oh, very good. Oh, but look at that. Lawrence Kushner? I don't know. Yeah, I think he's I think he's reform. I love it. I didn't do anything wrong. I went to my birthday parties. That's great. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, our time is, uh, is elapsed here. Our class is over. But before we go, uh, thank you for, for your questions. Uh, and I do hope we can do this again before the, the year is over. Uh, and uh, thank you for all your engagement. And let's pray before we go. I mean next year, the whole of the academic year, not the, we only got, no, we're not here tomorrow. Okay, let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for the gift of laughter. We thank you for the gift of your holy scriptures. And we thank you, God, that we can always continue to learn, continue to challenge one another and question. We thank you for the gift of being able to question, that we know it is not all 